Nikki and I love this podcast. We love your reactions and support. And we love, love meeting people that are into the topics we're into. Because of how much love and energy we put into this podcast, we're constantly looking for new and exciting ways to make this podcast better. One of which has involved us to travel to the locations that we decide to talk about. Last December, you probably heard Nikki's recounts of Edinburgh's Greyfriars Kirkyard and Burke and Hare. But she saved another story for a special occasion. And as for me, I recently spent some time in Spain and Germany learning about the strange and unusual stories that comprise their history and culture. This episode, Nikki and I will bring to you the grisly tales between two countries in Europe. Nikki will tell you the tale of an Irish prison, and I will tell you the tale of the Spanish witch hunt. Needless to say, you will be stunned. So please join us and enjoy the tales that you, for sure, have never heard before. Hello? Welcome. This is the two cities. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition was a phrase that my middle school friends and I would squeal every now and then in between class and breaks. Maybe you have done it too. Those early teenage years were a time where many have found Monty Python's sophomoric humor to be exactly what our changing bodies needed. It's a mix between childish absurdism and adult ideas basically everything a teenager wants to laugh about. However, during that time, I had no idea what I was saying. Terry Jones and the other Monty Python team were avid historical fans, and as for me, well, I was a 13-year-old idiot. For those that don't know what the Spanish Inquisition was, here is a brief rundown. One. It lasted from 1478 to 1834. Two, it aimed to consolidate power in the monarchy for the newly unified Spanish kingdom and spread the Christian faith. Three, it was fucking brutal, and thousands were burdened at the stake under Torquemada, an inquisitor, and tens of thousands were forced expulsion. When I was taught the brief history of the Spanish Inquisition, I never really digested it. Yeah, it was bad, but isn't most of history bad? When has humanity's need to be right to the point of murder ever shifted? The Spanish Inquisition was, in short, just a tool to spread Christianity and diminish other religions. Right? Recently, I took a trip to Spain and learned about their dark history. It really sparked, it actually sparked from a free walking tour that I did in Barcelona. It seems like Europe has taken an initiative to explain European history, which is great for people like me because I generally like to know what I'm looking at. For those that are asking, 
for those that are asking, the tour is amazing and it's free, but the tour is super depressing. Even my friend raised her hand and asked if there was anything in Barcelona that wasn't depressing. Turns out there wasn't. Christian executions, Spanish civil wars, and Jewish persecutions were some of the common pillars of Barcelonian history. However, one of the biggest things that sparked my attention was the history of the Basque witch trials. It came to my attention oh so briefly. We were walking down the street, and the tour guide mentioned, down that alley is where people did some of the witch burning. The Basque witch trials became some of a shock to me, because I thought Salem was the only place that held witch trials. I briefly remembered that there were some witch trials in England, or possibly the United Kingdom. However, I also remember hearing that it wasn't a common practice, that many in England or the United Kingdom simply found it either barbaric and chose means like jail instead. However, I was wrong. So very, very wrong. Salem was bad, yes, but it was equivalent to a Disney Channel original movie of bad. The Spanish witch trials, man, they were awful. So sit back and relax. My name is Ellie, and let me tell you the tale of the Basque witch trials. The 17th century was an opportunity for oppression. I mean, let's be honest, all centuries are, but the 17th century was an affluent time to bring up the Christian faith and limit all the rest. While America dealt with the struggles of religious Puritanism, the Spanish Catholics were seeking heretics to punish. The Catholic Church had joined the government to find and persecute baptized members of the church that went against the ideal of the Catholic faith. This involved Jewish people who converted to Catholicism to escape religious persecution from Catholics. Ironic, right? The Inquisition before aimed to kill the members of the Jewish faith, so many converted to Catholicism, but now they were being persecuted for converting under false pretenses. Also, the Catholic Church told Jewish people to convert. But that's not the story here. The story is about the Basque village of Zuguramurdi, some of the other people that were persecuted. The Basque witch trial began in January 1609 in, of course, Basque country. It was influenced by similar persecutions in Laborde, France. Towns would be accused of heretic witchcraft, as well as priests for healing people with nominas, amulets with the names of saints. During that year, five or six people were burned at the stake, with hundreds to be scheduled to be burned at the stake as well. There was a belief that there was a widespread witch cult in the Basque region. It was believed that the meeting place for witches was at a cave near Zigaramurdi. The cave which featured a stream, was believed to be called Hell's Stream. Now, understandably, there is a lot of panic. Even though this might seem callous to some, many believe that confessing or implicating other people in their community would allow them some immunity. 
in Longrono. There were close to 2,000 people, 1,384 of whom were children between 7 and 14, implicating close to 5,000 people. For a while, it wasn't entirely known what went down in the Basque witch trials until the Vatican opened up their records to the public. Overall, 7,000 people were accused of witchcraft. A large amount of the people died as a result, mostly due to being tortured and burned at the stake. The accused would be marched into town, wearing close to nothing and feeling completely lost and destroyed. The indicted would be face to face with their impending doom. 1,802 people retracted their statements, which also led to their torture. Now, it is revealed that only six people actually now it is revealed that only six people actually practice what would be labeled as witchcraft. But really, does that actually matter? Some of the allegations about the people in Zugaramurdi were that they casted spells on living creatures, and meeting in Jaisakabel in Akalares, led by a goat devil. Akalare is Basque for metal, meadow of the he-goat, and the Spanish word for Akalare means Black Sabbath. Many people in the Basque region were whalers, so women lived by themselves most of the time. And as we all know, communities tend to turn sour whenever women are slightly independent and free. Today, you can visit the Witchcraft Museum in the village of Zurgaramurdi, which discusses the events of the 17th century. Also, every Midsummer's Eve, which is June 23rd, the town celebrates with a feast by the cave where the witchcraft occurred. A glowing reminder on how we try to remember our previous atrocities of our bigotry. Hopefully, one day it will allow us to or teach us to stop ignoring the current prejudices that we see and now practice a loving way of viewing others today. As Ellie mentioned, in September, I spent some time overseas. Many of you may remember our episodes this winter on Greyfriars Kirkyard and the Edinburgh Anatomy Murders. But I also spent time in Ireland. While I was there, Unlike when I was in Scotland, it was overcast and gray, and a bit stale. The architecture of Dublin was less robust than the other cities I had been to on the trip. The streets were still, and we turned a corner. There was a large, imposing wall before me. I had met Kilmaine Jail. But I actually want to tell you about this room, because this was the condemned cell. This is where prisoners sentenced to death by hanging were held until they could be executed. Up to 1910, when the jail closed for the first time, we had, uh, I'll come back to that point later, we had about 150,000 prisoners pass through the doors of the jail altogether. Um, 190 of them were executed by hanging, uh, three of those were women. Up to 1868, 
all executions had to be in public, and 140 of ours took place above the front door of the jail. But in uh, 1868, the British government banned public executions, so we moved the gallows back into the jail and executed a further 50 prisoners within the confines of the jail up to 1910. Irish history is full of struggle and conflict. The small island held no political power during the Middle Ages. King James decided during the early 17th century to claim Ireland. They, of course, rebelled, though by 1651, all of Ireland was under English rule and remained so for the next 250 years. English rule meant living in deplorable conditions for Irish Catholics. Laws were imposed that meant that the Irish Catholics were not allowed to own land, a horse, or a firearm, and their children were not allowed to be educated in Catholicism. They were also banned from entering the military or practicing law. Catholic priests were forbidden from publicly or privately instructing students on their religion. These priests were ordered to leave Ireland by King James, and those who refused were required to register and swear an oath to the English king. The Irish were considered inferior by the English. This justified their brutal treatment of the Irish. They confiscated their land, ensuring that Protestants remained powerful in the landowning class, the ruling elite of Ireland. From the 15th to the 18th century, Irish insurgents were sold as slaves and sent to the Caribbean, while others were imprisoned. The Kilmaine Jail became home to many. Kilmaine is known as a place of desperation and sadness. By 1847, the prison was built to house 5,000, but had an inmate population of 13,000. There was no segregation in the prison. Up to five men, women, and children were held in each cell, roughly 300 square feet. There was but a single candle for light and heat, often lasting two weeks. Prisoners spent most of their time in the cold, dark cells. Children were arrested, often for petty theft. The youngest is said to have been a seven-year-old who stole a cloak. Many adults were transported to Australia, as it was custom at the time. While men lay on iron beds, women were given only straw to sleep on. Kilmaine Jail was built in 1796 in Dublin, Ireland. It was called the New Jail, distinguishing it from the old prison it was built to replace. The old jail was dungeon-like, and just a few hundred meters away from the new jail. But the new jail wouldn't be much different. Overcrowding continued, and 30 new cells for women were added in 1840, but it was the Great Famine that caused an increase in prisoners that overwhelmed the prison. The Great Famine began in 1845 and lasted until 1849. The widespread starvation, influx and disease, and a mass emigration from Ireland severely affected the west and south of the country. One out of every three people was gone, predominantly Irish peasants. During the worst of it, more than one million people died and another one million emigrated from Ireland, causing the population to fall between 20 and 25%. Discrimination against Irish Catholics contributed to an already impacted prison. The Irish poor law system made work relief opportunities worse than incarceration for many. In 
Ireland's destitute found the penal system provided food and shelter that they wouldn't otherwise have. But the prison also held many revolutionaries. The Society of United Irishmen formed in the 1780s and led a rebellion in 1789 with the help of French troops. The rebellion saw some success before being suppressed. A second uprising began in 1803, led by Robert Emmett, but was put down quickly and Emmett was hanged. Public hangings occurred on the street in front of the prison until 1891, when a hanging cell was built in the prison. The Irish Republican Brotherhood, founded by James Stevens and others, was dedicated to overthrowing British imperial rule in Ireland. They staged a Fenian Rising in 1867. Leaders of rebellions in 1789, 1803, 1848, 1867, and 1916 were all held at Kilmainham. Those leaders spent their final hours before a firing squad. Seven rebel leaders who signed the 1916 Proclamation of Independence were arrested with nine others involved in the Easter Rising. Over the course of 10 days in May, all but two were executed in the courtyard of Kilmainham. The two who were spared executions were Constance Markovich, who was given life imprisonment, and Henry Ohanrahan, brother to Michael Ohanrahan, who was sentenced to penal servitude for life. James Connolly, a rebel leader and revolutionary socialist, was executed for treason. He was a political theorist and trade union leader who founded the Irish Citizens' Army. He joined forces with Patrick Pierce, the leader of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, just before the Easter Rising of 1916. Many other rebel leaders were held and executed here. The prison remains a testament to the struggle for Irish independence. From the time of its opening in 1796 until it was decommissioned in 1924, it's been a site of incarceration of significant Irish nationalist leaders. It has been linked closely with the story of Irish nationalism. Irish leaders of rebellions in 1789, 1803, 1848, 1867, and 1916 were imprisoned in Kilmenheim and held prisoners during the Irish War of Independence. The Kilmenheim prison was decommissioned as a prison by the Irish Free State in 1924. Because it had been a site of oppression and suffering, there was no interest in preserving it. In the 1920s, the Irish prison board considered reopening the jail, but the plans were finally abandoned in 1929, and in 1936, it was considered for demolition. The cost of demolition deterred them, and the prison remained. The National Graves Association proposed the site to be preserved as a museum and memorial in the 1930s. The commissioners of public works received no objections and negotiations were entered into with the Department of Education about the possibility of relocating artifacts from the National Museum to a new museum at the Kilmainham site. An archeological survey found that the prison was in ruins, and a proposal to preserve the cell blocks that were deemed to have national importance while others were destroyed was considered, but no action was taken. In the 1950s, a grassroots movement for the preservation of the jail began to develop. The Kilmainham Jail Restoration Society was formed in 1958. They devised a plan that the prison should be restored and a museum built 
through voluntary labor and donated materials. The Irish Congress of Trade Unions stated that they would not oppose the plan, and the Building Trades Council gave support. Building support from the Irish government came with the pressure from the National Graves Association and other organizations working to preserve the site. Work began in May of 1960 to clear out overgrown vegetation, trees, and fallen masonry. The final work was completed in 1971, when the chapel was reopened to the public, having been restored and refloored. Given the history of the place, it's not hard to believe that the jail is haunted. Visitors mention feeling claustrophobic and have experienced being crammed in the small cells. The horrid conditions were a breeding ground for disease and a motivation for suicide. While the exact number of deaths at Kilmainham is unknown, surely many souls remain trapped. The most aggressive spirits are believed to be those of the rebel leaders, executed in public during the early years of the jail. Visitors and paranormal researchers have found a spirit in the chapel who causes a feeling of intense terror when people enter the area. They often flee the room. Perhaps it's the ghost of Joseph Plunkett or Grace Gifford, who married James in the chapel only hours before his execution by firing squad. During the early years of the restoration of the jail, Governor Dan McGill, who oversaw the work done there, stayed in the prison with his family. He was getting ready for bed one night when he noticed lights were on in the chapel. The chapel was across the courtyard from his room, so he went and looked around. He turned off the lights and returned to bed. When he glanced back out the window, he saw them again. So he again went and turned the lights off. He had to do it three times that night. Also, during the years of the renovation, a painter was said to have been blown off his feet and into a wall by a sudden gust of wind while in the dungeon. He was held against the wall stiffly before he could free himself. Others have mentioned hearing footsteps and voices coming from halls and cells. Echoing corridors and claustrophobic cells cause visitors to feel a deep sense of unease. Some report being watched or followed by an unseeable force. Footsteps echo in empty areas. Glowing lights are seen through windows of empty rooms. Banging and knocking can be heard from doors. All I can say is the walls themselves are imposing. The history of Ireland is ripe with stories of rebellion against suffering and because of imperial impression. The walls, gray stones stacked tall, are both imposing and cold representative of the influence of the Brits in Ireland. The jail was both a place of containment and one of final resort for the starving and displaced. The place is one of absolute desperation, housing those with nowhere else to go and those who fought diligently for freedom. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our episode. We appreciate each of you and love hearing from you. So hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at tales of two cities podcast at gmail.com. That's tales of the number two cities podcast at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe on the listening platform of your choice. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. 
A big thank you to my friend Ricardo for the music in this episode. We're a bi-weekly podcast, but if you just can't wait for our next episode, head over to our Patreon and pledge for mini episodes and bonus content. Or head over to our shop at TeePublic. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Again, we appreciate each of you. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>